Okay, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season three, episode eight, Inheritance. All right. Inheritance. Let's just jump on in. This is the opening Boop. scene. Vincent and Stabler are in a hospital room. There's a young woman out cold in a neck brace. Her face is like beat to shit. She has a five inch knife wound on her clavicle and the perp was like trying to disfigure her. The doctor says that she's lucky she survived. It's just this, it's the same doctor that's been in a bunch of episodes. He has a beard. He was the one that like. I find it so interesting that you pick up on things that are just like so I don't know it's just different it's different perception stuff like it's so superfluous to me like I forgot that guy's face fucking immediately I have no (laughs) idea who you're talking about there may have not even been a doctor in the room for all I know but you're like you know those cups that they've been drinking out of for the last 20 years and I'm like no see that's weird because like I feel like like you see all these people that I'm like who like I have no idea it's like weird yeah it is weird the stuff that we both pick up it's bizarre like separately yeah. What, what was it? It was like the name of a hospital. You're like, they were at that hospital last time. I'm like, how the fuck do you remember the name of the fucking hospital? It was so, it was like a weird Russian name. It was like Slavite or something. <laughs> Slavite. Slavite. <laughs> hospital. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So the doctor's like, she's lucky she survived. So she was found outside of a warehouse in Chinatown after a burglar alarm went off. She also has distinct fingerprint bruising above her knees and what looks like healing cigarette burns on her wrists in like a strange pattern, which it wasn't. It was just, I don't know. It was just it was like just... three random cigarette burns. <laughs> yeah. Like you were like, right where they should be for cigarette burns or whatever you said. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange pattern no that looks pretty normal i mean with my experience with cigarette burns so she also has a tattoo of a dragon on her like hip stabler's like oh it must be a gang thing which Mm. i mean i thought that was weird but it's also could be like just knowing stuff from being a cop because i get what you're saying where it's like oh her aunt shannon had a fucking dolphin tattooed on her (laughs) ankle and it's like everybody's aunt shannon has a dolphin (laughs) tattooed on her ankle right but, you know, it might be, he might be like, hey, this is significance in Chinatown. Like, this shows something that I've seen before. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of fluids in her rape kit, but they're all tainted because the fucking dude used bleach to, like, ugh. cover up his, ugh. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. awful. So the warehouse has a full view of the street. There was a burglary and a rape in close proximity. So Benson's like, maybe this is two crimes. Right. Yeah. And to me, it's just really interesting that we start out this episode in the hospital because normally, Mm -hmm. I mean, nine times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, we start with people, you know, fucking leaving a club, people in a parking garage, random people that we never Mm -hmm. see again that are like, yeah. And then I was like, Carol, don't. And then they trip over a injured person. Yeah. yeah, it's like some feet sticking out of a fucking bush or... Right. Or it's like some guy like really pushing himself on like a woman and she's like, quit it, I'm not... And he's like, hey, what's that behind you? And you're like, are we going to talk about this fucking... This guy doesn't understand consent thing or we're just going to leave it? Okay, no, cool, that's cool. just it. That's just it. We're on a date. Ugh, you guys yeah. will deal with that later. But anyway, not this time. Yeah. This time they're like, we can't afford these extras, so... Yeah, we're going to just they were I kick it off in the hospital. Yeah, I thought that they were in a morgue for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought she was like dead and they were because, you know, how they're like always standing over somebody in a morgue figuring things out. But then I saw that doctor and I was like, oh, it's that fucking bearded guy. Yeah, that's in all the stuff. So and I'm like, I don't know that guy. They could be at a fucking toll booth for all I know. <laughs> yeah, Maybe I think he's cute or something. Who knows? I'll have to look back. I'll have to look into it. So now we're at the warehouse with the whole gang. The burglary was five masked men. They broke into the warehouse 
jumped the janitor, locked him in the closet, and made out with 50K in high-speed computer processors. <laughs> and I was wondering, like, what does that look like? In 2001. Bro- like, were they huge? Were they, like, the size of... Um, they were that- individual VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah. They were... Like that guy Tyrone's uh, recording equipment in his cargo pocket that nobody <laughs> noticed. Was that in the... That was in the, the rave episode where he's... The rec- rave and he, episode. he had, like, the spelunking helmet on top of his <laughs> headband, and he's like, nobody knows I'm recording them guys and like all these cords going down into his cargo pocket and he's like hey hey fellow people what's up like <laughs> Oh, so Munch pops out of the warehouse. Apparently, there's only one exit, which leads to the second crime scene. And it's like right around the corner in the alley mm-hmm. on the other side of the warehouse. So the victim that we saw in the hospital earlier, her name is Helen Chen, and she's 19 years old. She just lives a few blocks away, and she was found on the ground with a bunch of computer parts that the perps dropped around her. Munch is wondering if there's like a sixth burglar that committed the rape. Or he's like, is this two crimes? And Toot said that either way, the perps had to see her on their way out. Like the burglars probably saw her. Right. Like they, because of the one exit thing, there's no way that they didn't pass by her, if Mm -hmm. nothing else, which is fucked up. Yeah. Stabler shows Munch and Toots the possible gang tattoo. And Toots is like, women aren't in Asian gangs. They're like only associated through a brother or boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And he says that the women will usually carry guns or drugs. And Benson's like, yeah, they're women, so they don't get hassled by the cops as much. Right. Benson and Stabler are going to go back to the hospital to talk to Helen, the victim. Toots and Munch are going to go talk to Toots' buddy in gang intel. Toots was like, he's probably seen every tat in town. And he like, (laughs) really? And I hated that. If I hear... If I hear another person say tat, I'll fucking shoot myself in the face. <laughs> I hate that. Like, we tattooers say it all the time. Like, yeah, fucking tat gat. Like, blah, like as a joke. Yeah. But it's fucking, you know, I need some ink therapy. And you're like, fuck off. Ew. It hurts. The cringe hurts. It's the cringe and getting tattoos hurt. I don't care. I, whatever. Yeah. I don't give a shit if I say it out loud. God, what am I fucking talking like that? Yeah. Sorry. I'll, I'll move along. <laughs> So now we're at the office of Detective Matt Sue. He's the gang intel guy. Yeah. It's May 13th, my birthday month. <laughs> okay. So Munch and Toots are talking to Detective Matt. He says that the tattoo and cigarette burns could point to Chinese gangs, but they could signify different things. Like burns could be initiation, kills, or punishment. I love the way that he said tattoos, cigarette burns. Oh God, I didn't even notice. It was so cute. <laughs> tattoos, cigarette burns, tattoos. He knows all the tats in town. So... Toot shows him the tattoo, and he doesn't, he's kind of like, I don't know, I mean, maybe. There's a lot of Chinese gangs use snakes and dragons in their tattoos, I don't know. Right. He said he's not seen that specific one. And Munch is like, for being the intelligence, you don't seem to have any answers. And I was like, fuck off, Munch. Fuck off. I know, you... You can't just go into somebody, whatever. I know, but like, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong, period. <laughs> I was going to wind up for something, but I was like, you know, yeah, I know. I saw you physically realize that, yeah, you just fucking hate Munch. And that's okay. It's where you're at. It's fine. It's where I'm at. And this guy's like, look, dude. He said exactly that. Yeah. Look, bruh. I worked in two years in Chinatown undercover and barely scratched the surface. You think you'll get somewhere with a rape investigation? Chinatown's got no love for cops. And then Toots was like, uh, well, they're just going to have to get over that, which I thought was fucking stupid. Detective Matt's like, good thing you guys are here to do the thing I've worked on for years in the next 48 fucking minutes. Like, yeah, they're going to have to get over it. And he's like, all right, cool. Like, my experience doesn't mean shit. Got it. Got it. Got it. OK, cool, cool. cool Glad cool, you came cool. to talk to me and fucking tell me that you can do my job better. And then Munch rolls in. It's like two sentences in. And he's like, you don't know shit. <laughs> 
You're like, why are you here? (laughs) Munch and Toots asked Detective Matt what his opinion is about the warehouse robbery. Matt says that the computer parts heist does sound like Chinese gang activity and that they've been putting cases together on gangs and high-tech crime for a while now. And then Munch is like, it's the same profit margin as drug trafficking, but nowhere near as harsh prison sentences. And I was like, that's like a really smart, like... Crime thing to do. Yeah. 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 Detective Matt says that a lot of Asian gangs use rape as a punishment, and maybe the victim, Helen, like, quote, broke the rules. Mm. So... Now we're at the hospital, and Benson and Stabler are in Helen's room. She's awake, and she's wearing a metal neck brace. She looks like shit. Yeah. Uh, Sitting at her side is her brother with a barbed wire choker around his neck. I thought it was a fucking tattoo, and I was like, that is fucking sick. I thought that, too. (laughs) Yeah. Then I noticed that it was, like, three-dimensional. Yeah. He also has really strong early aughts vibes. He's got, like, a big metal Mm -hmm. ball chain choker necklace Mm -hmm. and heavily influenced some 41 hair. Oh, my God. Yeah, totally. He's wearing a black T-shirt under, like, this fashion old navy khaki vest. (laughs) You know that it has, like, a little elastic loop on the back? I just want... I need to paint a full picture of this vest. It doesn't serve any purpose but fashion, but, like, ready-to-wear fucking weird early 2000s fashion. It's hilarious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially when he gets all angry, stomping around in this stupid fucking vest. (laughs) I was so focused on the fucking barbed wire thing, thinking it was a tattoo that I didn't even notice his vest. Oh. I was just like... I'm gonna post it. fucking... That's pretty sick, dude. <laughs> He's like, I'm in a gang. I got this for 20% uh, think- off. They had a Christmas sale. <laughs> Benson tells Helen that they want to help her find who did this. And when she's ready and able, they can talk. The brother tells Benson not to make Helen cry because she'll start to choke. And then they'll have to snap her fucking jaw open. Mm. So it's like wired shut or something? Yeah, yeah. Like broken jaw, okay. wired shut situation. Yeah. It was just a really aggressive way to like, don't make her cry. And it's like, why not? Uh, yeah. Probably Jason. Why not? <laughs> He's super irritated, like on edge and tells Benson and Stabler that he already told them that she can't talk. And Stabler's like, yeah, but you can, Johnny. And he pulls him aside. Stabler asks him what his sister Helen was doing at that fucking warehouse. And Johnny's like, I don't know, probably walking home. And you can hear Helen in the background this whole time making mouth noises. Like she's trying to talk like, you know her teeth are fucking Mm -hmm. wired together and in my mind i'm like oh my god don't cry relax (laughs) you know like (laughs) i was like please don't cry you're gonna have to have your jaw open just take care of yourself helen um close your eyes so stabler notices an injury on johnny's arm and he asks him what happened johnny says that he burned it oh i'm like probably jason no we know that his name's johnny (laughs) which also tracks (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah good either he's like oh i burned it and benson's like uh, yeah, probably with a laser to remove a gang tattoo. And he's like, I'm not in a gang. He says he used to be with a group. See, he refuses to say gang. He's calling mm. them a group. I used to be with a group called the Ghost Shadows. Which is super cool. It is kind of. It's super cool. <laughs> I'm like, man, this fucking dude has a <laughs> has a barbed wire tattoo on his neck. And he's in a gang called Ghost Shadows. <laughs> Sweet. 2000 sweet um so he's like oh yeah i used to be with this group and stabler was like oh well maybe you leaving that group means your sister was punished by association he says that he got out a long time ago but helen's still in with her boyfriend dao tran last week johnny told him to stay away from helen and dao threatened to kill johnny if he got between them 
Johnny thinks that Dow Trans Gang is the one that hit the warehouse. Staler said, try this on. Okay. It was your boys. Try this. Try this second vest on. <laughs> this vest is made of words. <laughs> See? What? I just, I just love you. <laughs> try, try this. This vest is made of words. Come on. So good. <laughs> And it's free. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm done. I'll stop. So Staler tells Johnny, try this on. It was your boys who robbed the warehouse and raped the sister of the guy who turned his back on them. Right? And Johnny's Mm -hmm. like, ghost shadows didn't do that shit. They know that Johnny would kill anyone who tried to hurt his sister. So then Johnny tells Benson and Staler that they can find Dow Tran at Foha Restaurant on Canal Street. All the born-to-kill guys hang there. Mm. They call themselves that because the American soldiers used to write that on their helmets in the Vietnam War, and they're a Vietnamese gang. Mm. So Helen's in the back still trying to trying to speak, okay? Yeah, I was like, I wonder if like the guy that's there isn't actually her brother, and it's one of the dudes, and like... <laughs> I, I went way off. Yeah. Right up, right. Um, I'm sitting there going. I'm sure you saw. I'm sure you saw that. And I was like, oh, Jesus, yeah, I, I just I'm just like Gabe is um, she's a wealth of conspiracy theories in every episode. <laughs> but I'm just sitting there going with like the fucking basics. Get her a pen and some fucking paper, you guys. Yeah. Like, it's not like it's impossible to communicate with her. And you guys are supposedly so in tune with the things around you that you notice shit that no other professional notices in a crime setting. And yet you can't tell that this girl is cartoonishly trying to get your attention remember when stabler found those glasses in the long grass in the long grass remember when benson tripped over a book that was sitting in a park that had been combed by forensics and there's a girl holding up like a bugs bunny fucking duck season sign going hey i got something to say and they're like well nothing more to get here let's go and then they left and the music was do 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 Now they're at the Foha restaurant. Benson, Stabler, Munch, and Toots show their badges and ask for Dao Tran. This woman's like, mm, we're closed, sorry. And Dao Tran's not here. We don't want any trouble. Just, you know, get out of here. And Munch is like, hey, pile of dudes eating at a table. I, these guys were just eating. They didn't even, like, look up. They didn't They didn't do it. They didn't even give a shit. Yeah. They were just, like, talking to each other, probably being like, who the fuck are these guys? We don't care. We're fucking Vietnamese gangsters. Mm. And the food looked amazing. It looked so good. And I, you know how we were like, oh, we need to have a fucking meeting, blah, blah, blah. Let's go to Halong Bay. Yes. I, okay, that's that's yeah, the plan. That's it. That's the plan. Let's see, where was I? Oh, anyway, we were just geeking over these guys fucking eating. And we're trying not to eat, you guys. We're really trying not to eat. So now it's like we have to fantasize about eating instead. Yeah. So Munch is like talking to these dudes eating at this table. And all of a sudden a guy comes out from the back and looks at the cops and immediately lets them know he's Dow Tran because he's like, and he takes off. Boom. Full blown chase. Toots takes off after him through a tiny galley kitchen um, and immediately Mm -hmm. catches him and shoves his head into a bunch of ducks and is like, see how messy things can get when you don't cooperate and throws cuffs on him. And the chef's in the kitchen Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, you guys just got hair gel all over these ducks that I just cleaned. (laughs) For sure. There was a lot of hair gel in that scene. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There was so much hair gel. (laughs) Okay. So now we're in the interrogation room. It's Benson, Stabler, and Dow Tran. Dow Tran's like kind of hot too. Oh my God. There were so many hot people in this fucking episode. He says that him and Helen broke up and Stabler's like, maybe it's because she doesn't like being burned with cigarettes. 
Benson tells him that Helen is in the hospital and he gets visibly like, oh my God, what the fuck happened? And Stabler tells him that she was raped and beaten and left for dead. So he says, God, no. He swears he hasn't seen her in a week. He says that they wanted people to think that they weren't together anymore. And Stabler thinks it was his born to kill guys, his gang, Dao Tran's gang. Yeah. And maybe they didn't like him dating a Chinese girl with a brother that wasn't a gang. And Dao Tran is like, it, it, it wasn't that. It wasn't them. Mm-hmm. Benson was like, maybe it's because Helen's brother Johnny thinks you're not good enough for her. And maybe that embarrassed you. Maybe you raped her while his dudes robbed the warehouse. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I didn't rape. I oh know. God. <laughs> I know. I sent you that video, right? Yeah. He's like, I didn't rape Helen. <laughs> he goes, I know. Did I do it it's right? A- I didn't. You got to swallow. You got to swallow the end of Helen. Like, it's delicious. I didn't rape Holland. I didn't rape Helen. I didn't rape Helen. I didn't rape Helen. I, I didn't rape Helen. I love her. It was kind of a, um, God, what's his fucking name? Kylo Ren. Who plays Kylo Ren? Yeah, that one guy Adam from Driver. Girls. He had an Adam, Adam Driver. Driver voice. I didn't yeah, rape I Helen. Didn't, I didn't rape Helen. I didn't rape Helen. I can't. I love her. Fuck. It was, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> He was he was there were he was drowning at the time. They were waterboarding him at the time. <laughs> He's like, I don't rap all of So he confesses that Helen told him that the ghost shadows did the warehouse and that she was their lookout. He tried to stop her. He says Johnny ordered he's like Johnny did this. <laughs> Remember from before? I took a drink and made that. <laughs> Remember from before? remember (laughs) he says that johnny ordered his own sister's rape Mm. and like helen didn't want to be in the gang anymore but johnny has this control over her and that the cigarette burns are from johnny making her do it because of dowtran and sabler's like well it's your word against johnny's aren't both of their words not great yeah equally right dowtran tells them to ask helen he's like you know, when you were there, you should have asked her, but it's fine. You can go back. Right. She's still there, you know, wildly waving her hands around going, I have something to say. Yeah. So now we're in the hospital. Benson and Stabler are talking to Helen. Helen. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That was That's it. That's enough. Helen. Benson and Stabler are talking to Helen. <laughs> that was good, too. Was great. Okay. They're like, we can't help you if you're protecting your brother. And she's like, um, why are you accusing me of lying? You haven't even talked to me yet. <laughs> Yeah, she's like talking through her teeth. Yeah. They know that he's involved in her attack. She's like, it's not true. And she also says it's not Dao Tran and that he loves her. They tell Helen they know Johnny made her burn herself. They ask if she saw him the night of the warehouse. And she's like, I don't remember. She said she got hit and passed out. She doesn't believe it was her brother. And they're like, where is he? And now she's crying. And she's like super beat up. And it's like super sad. Mm -hmm. She kind of gets lost in this. Yeah. Super hard, actually. So she tells Benson and Staler that the gang has a warehouse where they keep all their burglary treasures. <laughs> and it's actually a Scrooge McDuck coin <laughs> silo. So. She said scores, and I was like... I was going to say, she's, she's where they keep their scores. And Gabe, like, so self-satisfied, goes, they keep all their burglary treasures. <laughs> so there's, like, a screeching pull-up to the house. The fucking cops are already pulling dudes out of the house. They got Johnny handcuffed, and he's pissed. And the fucking cop that is in the background, like, yeah. who's behind Johnny, his fucking face is like, gotcha, bitch. Oh, my God. I took, like, five pictures of it because it was hilarious. 
So now we're in the interrogation room with Johnny. He's insisting that he didn't do anything and he takes care of Helen. He's like, I provide for her. I wouldn't rape my fucking sister. He says the gang went into the warehouse to steal the computer processors and Helen was lookout and she was totally okay. And then when they came out, he didn't see her and thought she got scared and left. But then he found her. She was super beat up and he thought she was dead. And then they heard sirens and he fucking left her there. He goes, she, she looked dead. And Benson goes, so you saved your own ass? Yeah, he fucking and did. And Johnny gives her like a really sad side eye and I laughed. I'm like, how about that little Johnny badass, you fucking dick? Yeah. Jesus. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. Being that like selfish, like in, in a moment of panic, you save yourself. Yeah. Like if Ketter, if I was in a Chinese gang <laughs> and Ketter, Ketter was our lookout and I go out and find her and she, I think she's, I like, I can't even imagine. I would just. Right. Remember when remember when Belle and the Beast and Gaston was going to kill the Beast and she's like holding him in her arms? Uh-huh. Or maybe that was the Pocahontas one. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of like head holding of men in <laughs> Disney movies. And uh, it, that would be like how I was with, I would be with Ketter. Like putting my arm around her. What? There is a lot of head holding of men in Disney movies. <laughs> There is. Oh my god! It's I so like realize that right now. It's like it's like a adult man infantilism. Get out of here! For, for, it's gonna. You know how problematic it is that we love Disney movies so much. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. <sighs> Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? <laughs> Isn't it neat? I live in a prison of my father's making, but I wish <laughs> a man with legs could save me. I'm sixteen. <laughs> The only one who's willing to help me is a sea witch. She's the only mother figure I've ever known. My babysitter is a crap. (laughs) He's responsible for my well-being. And my virginity. Him and another baby fish. This fork is a brush. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) I can't talk. How do I get home? (laughs) Can I breathe underwater anymore? I don't know. No big deal. Uh, I never once questioned what my vagina is. <laughs> Remember in... She like goes to bone Prince Eric and she doesn't understand why he's not just like swimming over fertilizing eggs. Just like <laughs> fucking giving her a facial all over her fucking body. She's like, what? She's like, what's this? And he's like, it's a squibble dinger. Put it in your mouth. <laughs> A squiggle dinger. Well, that's what I'm calling dicks forever now. I'm going to text somebody and be like, show me your squiggle dinger. Because people don't like when I say wiener, apparently. So Why adult men? Yeah. Why? Because it paints it small? Uh, I think it's, they just think it's creepy. I don't know. But I don't, I don't like to be like, dick, uh, show me your cock. It's like weird. Show me that it's like, big old shaft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh. Let me see your wiener. That is weird. <laughs> There's nothing good to say about it. Yeah, but what are you going to say, your... cack? You've got a Midwest accent. <laughs> <laughs> Show me that fat cack. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so big. <laughs> oh, for cute. <laughs> I don't think I can put it all in there. I'm going to put some of it in this <laughs> leftover Cool Whip container and save it for <laughs> How long's that big fat cock been in that denim? <laughs> I want you to uh, park it right in my little garage. 
You know, right by where I keep the weed whacker. Swipe your nose like a credit card, huh? <laughs> Running on the side of my leg, you know. <laughs> wet ass pussy. <laughs> whap, 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 whap. <laughs> okay. I got I got Okay. Anyways, he left her there. <laughs> left her there. So Kragen knocks on the door and calls them out. Turns out, quote, Bleach Man is back. Another victim with the same MO, you know, with Bleach being used and the victim raped in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Only this time, the victim is dead. Oh, shit. Now we're at the crime scene. Benson's talking with the ME that was in the wire. Yeah, that creepy guy. Yeah. Why is he there? Like, where's Corner Warner? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he thinks it's her guy. Same thing happened to the victim that happened to Helen. Her face was beat to hell and bleach was used to clean up. The Emmy thinks that the perp is getting more enthusiastic, but there's blood under the victim's fingernails, which means that she fought back, which probably pissed him off really bad. There's a slur carved into her chest and they're like, perp's a racist. And I'm like, or it's somebody trying to throw off their scent. Yeah. You know? So now we're in Kragen's office. Stabler's with the whole gang. The victim's name was Lucy Zhang. The Emmy thinks the slur carved in her chest was post-mortem, most likely by a straight blade or a utility knife. And Munch is like, there's no MOs in their system that's like this. Mm-hmm. Puang says that the level of brutality suggests a tremendous amount of anger towards Asian women. Duh. The perp was probably hurt by Asians at some point. Stabler says that carving women up takes a bit of time to hang out at the scene, so he must be confident that he won't get caught. Right. Wong thinks that the perp wasn't always that way, and that if they search through his past few years, they should find smaller acts of aggression, like peeping, exposure, violence with partners. Kragen says he's going to call the Bias Task Force and have them send over files on hate crimes against Asian women. I'm like, oh my god, it's going to be a white dude whose dad left him and his mother for Vietnamese women when he was overseas during the Vietnam War. (laughs) That's where I'm at now. (laughs) Which isn't, these are, they're good. There are a lot of possibilities, and you like to touch on everyone you think of all of them <laughs> every single one yeah so now we're at the squad room Craigan has them going through the files of hate crimes munch says that they haven't found anything really except just like gross reams of complaints about racist fucking scum stabler says a peeping tom was hitting chinatown about a year ago and he was never caught they're still waiting for blood from under the victim's nails to come back from serology. Huang thinks it's weird that a perp with sound mind enough to clean up with bleach was careless enough to leave his blood behind. And Huang thinks that his anger must be like escalating. Benson says she found a file. A woman put an ad in the personals in a Chinese language newspaper. So a guy pulled a utility knife on the first date. She dropped the complaint the next day because she was scared. Benson says it's going to take hours to find a translator. Stabler says to Huang, Doc, can you translate? And Huang's like, what, you just assume I speak Chinese? And Stabler, like, deadpan was like, no, I heard you order takeout once. And then fucking Benson's face. Mm-hmm. She, I, like, zoomed in. She's like, shit, that was dicey as fuck. Yeah. So now we're at the home of Sonia Young. Huang says Sonia came from China last summer to live with her aunt. She didn't know anyone and posted a personal to meet people. She was, like, lonely, you know? So Sonia's sitting there looking kind of nervous, of course. And Huang is asking her questions in Chinese. And it's really interesting to me that they both see- speak the same dialect when there's, like, hundreds. Well... You know what I mean? I mean, I know that they mostly... Like, the biggest, I think, is uh, Mandarin. More than 70% of the Chinese population speaks Mandarin. So I'm assuming that's mm-hmm. what they're speaking. But... yeah. The interesting thing to me about this scene is when someone translates while the other person is still talking, I can't even repeat what another person is mm. saying in English 
like a sentence behind them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can't do even that listen to yeah. my, an echo of myself talking when I'm trying to say something. Yeah. To not only take something from one language to another, but like do it while you're still getting input. It's just bananas to me. Yeah. So Sonia tells him that when she posted her personals ad, he wrote back like right away and they wrote back um, about three or four times a week. He says he was an engineer in Beijing. They arranged to go have dinner at a restaurant close by. But when he arrived, he wasn't who he said he was. He had told her he was Chinese, but he was actually black. There's a walk and talk outside of Sonia's house with Huang, Stabler, and Benson. Stabler asks Huang how many black men can write and speak Chinese well enough to fool a native. And I feel like that's a weird thing to say. It is a weird thing to say. Yeah. But moving along, 2001 or whatever the shit. Well, they wouldn't say that if it was a white dude. You know, they would just assume that he was educated. I know. So that's that's, fucked up. It's like, I mean, it's apparent what you mean when you say like, it's fucked up because it is. Mm. Huang says that the perp could be a student or work at the World Bank or the UN or just fucking no Chinese dude. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Huang says the dude lied about being Chinese because he knew she probably wouldn't go out with him. But the perp expected that once they met that she'd be so taken by him that she wouldn't care about his ethnicity. Mm -hmm. But her reaction to his race is what sets him off. So Benson was on the phone this whole time and she gets off the phone. So the P.O. box that the perp used to receive Sonia's letters was paid for with cash and the personal ad he used was over the phone and paid for with a stolen credit card and i'm like fuck this guy is thorough as shit like he knows what he's doing and then so they're getting in the car and stabe yells out into the street as he get his he's getting in the car let's follow the money they love yeah, saying yeah. that i know i'm like that's usually a Kragan thing <laughs> <laughs> he looks around for craig and he's like somebody's gotta yeah. say it like father like son <laughs> so we're at Mr. Larry Tang's house. Benson and Stabler are at the house of the victim whose credit card was stolen. He's a computer parts salesman or something, and he's rushing around getting ready to go to work. Stabler is curious why he waited a month before reporting his credit card, and he was like, yeah, that sucked. So he was overseas, and when he gets back, there were all these random charges on it. And he's like, well, the credit card company was really cool and didn't make me pay for it. I don't know who could have stolen it. I must have just left it lying around when I was in a rush for packing for my trip. He said there were some weird charges on it, and he thinks that whoever took it was getting some action so he shows in the credit card statement that was like right, right there right there he's like oh well let's see oh here it is and i was like please and there, it was for oh please <laughs> i don't believe any of this you know what's unbelievable about this <laughs> just that thing so there I is a can place show you my dick <laughs> I can show you my schwing dangler. <laughs> Schwang dangler. Schwang dangler? Was that what you said? I have no idea. Um, so the the swing hangler. Swing hangler. Herb gerflinger. My, my beef danglies. Um, <laughs> bobble meats. <laughs> Check out my bobble pig. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so he says that on the credit card statement, there's a place called, quote, China Girl for $200. It's a massage parlor in Chinatown where nobody actually gets a massage. What? Now we're at China Girl Massage Parlor. Benson and Stabler show up. They're flashing badges. A dude in a Hawaiian shirt shuffles a woman in a robe off into a room and asks Benson and Stabler for search warrants. They're like, dude, we're not with Vice or INS. Like, we're not here to fuck with you. Just We just right. need some info on a customer. Right. Yeah. And the guy's like, I maintain strict confidentiality with my clients. And Stabler's like, cool, but if you want a raid in here, that can happen too. And the guy's like, mm-hmm. okay, fine. And he goes into an office. He's like, at a woman sitting at the desk so that she'll leave. Yeah, he just claps at Ew. her. Like, fuck you and your Hawaiian shirt. His Hawaiian shirt was rad, though. It was like the perfect Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> They're like, we need to know about 
an African-American guy that came in here using a credit card with the name Larry Tang. And Stabler's got no patience for this guy hesitating at all. He's like, now receipts, come on, give it up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the dude's like, okay, I remember him. He tried to kill one of the women that works here. Yes. Benson and Stabler walk into a room to find an adult man in his itty bitty tidy whites with a woman lying on a massage table in thigh high leather boots and corset. She looks fucking amazing. She looks her outfit. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. The guy looks like Jerry from Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah. 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 And she's just a fucking bad bitch. Mm-hmm. Her name is Jiang Li. They asked Jiang Li about her attack and she said... The attacker looked young, maybe in his 20s, and there was nothing special about him. He came in for a massage, but she's like, I guess he didn't like it. Stabler's like, listen, we're not here to set you up. Tell us the truth. Like, we all understand what's happening here. And Jang's like, all right, cool. He wanted a girlfriend. I don't understand why that racist son of a bitch came to Chinatown. So Mm. he paid her to be his girlfriend. She's like, all right, fine. And he just wanted regular stuff, like nothing crazy. But then when it came down to it, he couldn't do it. And she's like, I laughed at him and he got pissed. He said he wanted to tie her up and she had a bad feeling about it. So she said no. Then he punched her a couple of times and pulled an army knife on her, called her names and cut her chest. So then Stabler's like, we're going to need you to describe him to a sketch artist. We're in the squad room. Stabler announces to the room that he faxed a sketch to a lot of schools with Chinese language programs and got nothing Mm. so far. Huang says that this perp has chosen to immerse or imitate a culture that is mostly insular, especially among the older generation. Huang said that if his sister would have dated a black man, his parents would have been pissed. Mm. So Benson's like, this dude puts himself in a position to be rejected, not only as a man, but as a non-Asian. It's like he wants an excuse to get mad. Just then Munch walks in. They got a hit on the DNA from under the fingernails from Lucy Zhang, a black guy that was sent away on multiple rape and homicides. Just got out last year and is in a halfway house. Mm -hmm. Now we're at St. Teresa's halfway house. Benson and Stabler are talking to this guy and he's showing them the man. His name is Starnes, but he's in a wheelchair with progressive MS. It's been pretty bad for a few years, so this guy couldn't have done it. So Benson and Stabler are asking Starnes some questions, but he says he ain't helping no cops. This guy is like a legit piece of shit. Oh, yeah. But IRL, this dude comes back next season as a different dude. And he's played multiple roles throughout the entire Law & Order franchise. He just Mm. died in July and I was going through his IMDb and he had a legit 50 year acting career. Whoa. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, here he's trash. Stabler tells him that his DNA was all over a dead woman, that Lucy Zhang. Starnes is like, I can't even get out of this fucking chair, though. If I could get out of this chair, I wouldn't be, quote, trying to get any downtown bitch. Okay. Stabler asks him if he has any brothers or cousins, like anybody who might want to set him up. He doesn't even answer that. Yeah. And Benson has this like look on her face like, oh, my God. She's like, do you have any children? And he's like, haven't had the pleasure you offering. And I was like, ugh. And Benson's like, dude, you ripped a lot of women and it's possible you have kids you don't even know about. And he's like, could be, lady. I'm just like, oh, I hate this guy. And that hits close to home Mm -hmm. for Benson. To the lab. Here we are with our favorite lab tech. Mm -hmm. Lab Boston Rob says, PCR only. Okay, this isn't how he talks anymore. Like we said the last time we saw him, he seems to have toned down. But guess what? I'm going to amp it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please, because it's the best. Lab Boston Rob says, PCR only looked at 10 genetic markers. Sometimes a person can have a close enough match to score a hit with the database. Benson's like, can you do another test? I ran a Y chromosome on Starnes and DePerp. 
The Y chromosome is passed from the father to the son within a family line. Grandfathers, fathers, brothers, sons, nephews will have virtually identical Ys. There's no doubt about it. These guys are blood relatives. Prison records say that Starn has no living male relatives, though. Mm-hmm. So the rapist has to be Starn's unknown son. And our lab tech goes, makes sense. The DNA's similar. And Benson's like, well, I guess being a psychopath runs in the family. Mm-hmm. Jeez. So now we're in the squad room. Dad's got the whiteboard out again. And I was like, I hope he draws that fucking cat again. Because it was so <laughs> cute. <laughs> he says that the vital statistics shows that Starnes is not named as a father on any birth certificate. So Starnes went to prison on four rapes. So they need to talk to his victims. Martha Shelby, she had a child within the time frame. No father listed. Starnes looks good for three unsolved rapes in Harlem, but the victims don't have any children during that time frame. And then Toots is like, well, Starnes had a living girlfriend that alibied him a few times, and her name is Pamela Tatum. She had a baby while they were living together. There's no father on the birth certificate, and the baby would be 23 now, so that's looking pretty good. Toots asks, like, what the odds are that a father and son would turn out to be rapists? And Huang says that some geneticists theorize that violence is inherited and Benson kind of gets like bent out of shape Mm -hmm. and she's like oh not my fault I was just born to kill it's another way for people to not take responsibility for their actions and Wong's like hey it's just a theory I was just saying it out loud yeah Yeah. and we know that Benson I mean it's literally like us and Staves know that Benson Mm -hmm. has a personal stake in that not being true right so Kragen's like dude you guys chill out on the human genome project we have shit to do let's get back to the case so everyone disperses what just just the way he said that he's like oh can we can we move yeah. on from the human genome property and the resident psychiatrist is like it's kind of my job to like do this type of speculation but okay like, you asked me you asked me to be here okay i didn't need to come in today this is my day off <laughs> so everyone kind of disperses to go do shit and stabler walks up to benson and he's like are you okay and she's like yeah like no big thing Now we're at the office of Martha Shelby. She tells Benson and Stabler she was 17 when she was raped. And three months Mm -hmm. later, she found out she was pregnant. She said she went into labor two months early and her baby Daniel lived for two hours. She Mm -hmm. said that it sounds awful, but Daniel's death was actually a relief for her. She didn't know that she could have lived with a constant reminder about her rape. And I'm like, ooh, poor Olivia. I know. Now we're on a New York City street walk and talk. It looks super nice out and I'm loving fall right now, by the way. I know, me too. Benson says they need to go back and look at rapes that Starnes wasn't connected to. She's like, oh, yeah, let's go solve rapes from 20 years ago. Sounds easy enough. Mm-hmm. He got a better idea. Staves is like, yeah, let's just continue to pretend like this isn't bothering you. Yeah. And Benny's like, Elliot, knock it off. She says she's a child of rape and she's known for a very long time and she's dealt with it. I'm fine. And he doesn't believe her. Yeah, he's just like, all right. You know, but like then if somebody's not w- wanting to talk about it. Yeah. What do you do? You know, now we're at the home of Pamela Tatum. This is Starn's old girlfriend. This lady tells Munch and Toots that she's like, I knew that bastard would come back to haunt me. I just fucking knew it. She says the last time she saw Starnes was right before he was arrested. She threw him out after living together for two years. But before that, he lived in some shithole in Flatbush. Right before he was arrested, he raped and killed her best friend that lived in their same apartment complex. And we think we have bad exes. I know, right? (laughs) So she had her son, Michael, about a year before she kicked Starnes out. And she swears that Michael isn't Starnes' baby. Then she said, I had a lot of boyfriends back in the day. And if you try to make me feel like a whore, forget about it. And I was like, I love this lady. And I was like, fucking A, right. We own our hoe days around here. Yeah, dude. Own your fucking hoe days. If today's your hoe day, fucking it's good for you, you, bitch. You get it. You get it. It's fine. Get it. Your whole life is ho days. That's fine. I love that for you. 
I love it for me. <laughs> just then her son walks into the room and he's like, why are you asking my mom all these fucking questions? Munch and Toots like just swarm around him and they're like, hey, where have you been? And he's like, dude, I was in DC at my girlfriend's house for the last two weeks. I just got in like last night. Mm-hmm. And Toots wants him to come in and take some tests and Pamela's not having it. She's yeah. like, he is not Starnum's son. And Munch is like, but you don't know for sure. And she's like, get out. I mean, this young man walks in in some sweatpants like, hey, why are you guys all up in my mom's butthole? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what did you do? And he's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. So they're doing a walk and talk in the hallway back to the elevator. And Toots is like, this guy fits the profile. Just then Michael steps out into the hallway and he's like, dude, I didn't hurt anyone. I want to help, but I also don't want to know if I'm star and son because I know what he did. Mm-hmm. So is there any other way? Munch and Toots ask him if he would be willing to stand in a lineup. And he's like, fuck yes. Totally for it. It's not him, you know? Yeah. So. Which still scares me though because he's black. I know. It just get because, I mean, crazier things have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, do you got to do that DNA? Because. Yeah. Don't agree to yeah. anything. Yeah. Now we're in the squad room. Munch tells Craig and they need an interpreter for Sonia Young to bring in for the lineup. Mm-hmm. And Craigan's like, cancel it. Michael's alibi cleared. He was seen in D.C. running around. And Toots tries to push for it. Come on, we've already, he already agreed to it, which is really weird to me because his mm. alibi cleared. Like, why are you trying to do a lineup now? Yeah. You know what I mean? I it's just, it was very weird to me. Yeah. So Craig and asks everybody like their findings on the unsolved rapes because they're going through everything. Benson's like, we have nothing before 1977. This dude could be anywhere. They And they have five boroughs of cold cases to sift through. And I was just like, this is insane. I would quit my job. But I know. I'm done. I'm not that, doing this paper. Just them saying that sounds yeah. insurmountable. I know. And then Munch is like, well, Pamela told us that Starnes used to live in Flatbush before they hooked up. So we should go through the Brooklyn files. Of course. Narrow it down to like, uh, you know, one area, which is good. It's fucking huge. Mm-hmm. So now we're at the apartment of Susan Guan. That's another one of Starnes' victims. Benson and Stabler ask her where her son Daryl is. And she doesn't know. And she's like, sometimes he doesn't come home. They tell her that they know she was raped in 1977. Let her know there's a bunch of attacks on Asian women. And she's like, oh my God, is he back? Is he back around here? Like, holy shit. And they're like, no, your rapist Starnes is really sick. And he's going to spend the rest of his life sick. And he can't hurt her. And she was kind of like, whew. They ask if Daryl, her son, is a product of that rape. And she says, yeah. Benson's like, we found blood at a murder scene that maybe Daryl. So they need to find him. She's like, oh my God, no, Daryl's such a good guy or whatever. And Stabler plays the whole, like, I'm not saying it's him just want to talk to him right miss guan like pauses and the music starts getting all swelly and she's like it's my fault after she had daryl she moved in with her parents because she had no money she thought that because daryl was her son they would love him because he was hers when they saw daryl they were like give him away and they called him like a devil or something like they were just awful and then sailor's like why didn't you move and she's like well i guess a part of me hated him too you see olivia's face and you're like oh god this is hard That's way harsh, Ty. Yeah. And Benson gulps this cartoonishly large lump down her throat, and Stabler Mm. rocks back on his heels with his hands in his pockets like he's, Hoo boy! (laughs) You should see. Yeah. (laughs) Stabler asks her if she's, like, noticed any shady shit Daryl's done. And she's just kind of silent. And then the next thing you know, Benson and Stabler are going through his room. Mm-hmm. So the sketch doesn't look anything like Daryl. Uh, Stabler thinks the victims maybe knew he was half Asian and half Chinese. Benson finds a bunch of books on serial killers and murderers. And I was like, Jesus, don't go through any of my shit. Yeah. If that's a, if that's a thing. 
Like I understand the accumulation of everything is what makes the book seem like, whoa, but it actually means nothing. Mm-hmm. Hey, I was looking at your Netflix history and uh, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> You've watched Romper Stomper too many times. And I'm like, oh God, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. if your blood was found at a murder slash rape slash you have a bunch of books on murder and probably yeah. murdered someone, then like, yeah, then it's yeah. like, <gasps> hmm. so Stabler finds a pair of bloody jeans. Benson again is like, where's Daryl? And I'm thinking like, this guy is so thorough. I'm surprised he hadn't gotten rid of those pants by then. I know. You know? Yeah. But that's when Juan goes, well, he's getting angrier, so he's getting sloppy. He, like, gets home and, like, shimmies his jeans off his body, and he's like, I'm angry. These are staying on the floor. <laughs> yeah. We're at the Samsung drugstore. <laughs> <laughs> Dork. I know. <laughs> Okay, so now we're at the Samsung drugstore. A worker tells Benson and Stabler that Daryl's out on deliveries, and they want the addresses to where he went. The guy says he should have known Daryl was up to some bullshit because a few women called complaining that he kept asking them out. Mm -hmm. So he goes to get them the addresses on his air fryer-sized computer. (laughs) That is his beach ball at a music (laughs) festival-sized computer. (laughs) A newborn baby bathtub-sized computer. <laughs> a Buick-sized computer. How is this even in my store? <laughs> I'm going to keep saying them if you keep laughing. You got you to gotta shimmy by to get to any of the stuff, to get to the Advil. <laughs> where's, um, where's the Pepto? Behind the Q key. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said Q-key because they're the same thing. That sounds like I'm saying Q-key. Q-key? Behind the the dollar sign button. Whatever. Hey, do you guys have any corn nuts here? Yeah. (laughs) Go around the Zamboni. (laughs) They're in the back. (laughs) The computer's from earlier than now. Okay, that's the joke. Benson goes through... Benson goes through his computer to see that Helen Chen and Lucy Zhang's mother are both in the database for the pharmacy. Benson tells Munch to call for backup. Oh, shit. So now they're out on the street. Benson and Stabler are outside one of the addresses on the list of Daryl's deliveries. Benson spots Daryl across the street and he sees her seeing him. (laughs) She's literally just a lady across the street. They were really far away from each other. And she kind of stops and looks across and he's like, what? And so then she pulls a stabler at a fucking rave and calls his name across the street. And he takes the fuck off. He books hard. He fucking books. Yeah. He like drops all of his shit and is just gone. I was like, holy shit. He had a whole cart that he looked like he was going to pull. And then he's like, nope, I got to go. And then it takes a, a second and a half, maybe. And these beat cops pull guns on him just as Benson's about to fucking flying squirrel on top of him right remember that first toots episode when he and his yeah. ponytail like did a flying squirrel jump onto that perp <laughs> off a trampoline were... on the side of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're like yeah he's part of the team so benson grabs him and slams him up against the wall and throws him to the ground and Sailor pulls her off of him because she is 
going hard. Well, it's just crazy because Sandler goes hard constantly. Yeah. And I think like in this episode, they're trying to be like, see, Olivia can be violent too, but she like didn't do anything. But cute. But cute. Sure. Also, Stabler strikes me as a do as I say, not as I do kind of dad. So like, of course, he's going to bring that into the workplace. Yeah. So they've got the guy. Turns out he's got a water bottle full of bleach. Uh, on him. This dude is like all about opportunity. On his person. Yeah. Yeah. We're at the courthouse. Daryl's lawyer, Margot Nelson, runs into Cabot and says that she expects an updated witness list on Daryl's case by next week. So Margot is defending Daryl pro bono. Why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margot. That's all I could fucking, (laughs) I couldn't get past it. (laughs) Margot usually like takes on rich clients, but she's defending Daryl pro bono. Cabot says she's like, you're only doing that to make headlines. And Margot insists it's to save Daryl's life. She wants the death penalty off the table. And Cabot's like, what the fuck? This dude planned his attacks and intentionally chose his victims based on race, national origin, ancestry, gender. The dude's a prick and did five of the nine criteria under the hate crime act and that's an automatic sentence enhancement so Margot says that he's not guilty of murder one and cabot's like um remember the dna under the fingernails the blood on the clothes not to mention the bottle of fucking bleach and Cabot's gets sassy and she's like, what's your definition of guilt? And Margot gets all, I love this fucking lady. I know I shouldn't say this, but I fucking love this bitch. Yeah. Margot gets sassy right back and she's like, guilt, noun from the Middle English, G-I-L-T. The fact of being responsible for the commission of an offense, operative word being responsible. She wants not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect and says, yeah, um, my parents made me read the dictionary. And I was like, I fucking love this bitch. She strikes me as a uh, a Kathleen Zellner type. Kathleen Zellner. She represents um, Stephen Avery. Yeah. Yeah. Only I feel like this lady is even, she's just coming off even smarter. She's just... Really? Well, because then, yeah, then you find out, I mean, you find out she's a fucking, has a PhD in like genetic fucking biology or whatever, on top of being a kick-ass lawyer. I was like... Right. I was like, mom? Are you my new mom? <laughs> you know? <laughs> So we're outside of the courthouse right now. Cabot is talking to some dude. Is this the DA? Or who is he? Executive Assistant District Attorney Stan Villani. He says Margot has a PhD in molecular biology along with her law degree and wants to know why she's defending a rapist. And then Cabot's like, I think she wants to fucking set a precedent. Her witness list is full of geneticists, biologists, genetic psychologists, all, you know, helping her with the insanity defense. Mm-hmm. This guy's like not guilty by reason of DNA, please. Margot wants to prove that Starn's DNA is why Daryl is a fucking rapist. <sighs> this is some dicey shit. So the other dude, the assistant of the blah blah blah, he says that the quote the quote Fry standard precludes scientific evidence generally not accepted by the scientific community and tells Cabot to file a motion in limine, which I don't know what the fuck that means. It's Latin for at the start. Okay. So like, it's just, it's yeah. just a lawyer term for file that beginning. shit now. Yeah. Yeah. So Cabot's not sure that she can. Margot has science on her side and it's just a generally accepted theory that violence and DNA are linked. And I'm listening to this conversation going, where's the legal precedent though? You can't just bring something into court. There's no precedent where violence is linked to dna and it gets somebody off yeah but that's what they're that's what margo's trying to do and i know but i just don't understand she's trying why to, she's trying to set that precedent for sure but i don't understand why cabot feels so painted into a corner about it when creating the precedent is insanely difficult but if one already yeah, exists yeah. 
then I could see Cabot like shaking in her boots. But for some reason, she's just like, it's a generally accepted theory. Not in the legal system. It's not. Yeah. But whatever. Th- this is this is where they're dramatizing this shit. I go into it dur- in the chaser. But yeah. So she doesn't trust a jury to make the distinction between violence and DNA being linked and violence and DNA being like not causal. And that's the judge's job. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, wrote, I was like, I wouldn't fucking trust a jury with anything at all. Gabe hates a jury. You ever had yeah. jury duty? Well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I had to go. So then Cabot says she's got Huang doing a psych exam. So then Villani tells Cabot she's got a big job to do because if Margot sets the precedent, then it's a Pandora's box of bullshit. No one will be responsible for their actions because of their DNA. Now we're in the precinct interview room. Huang is with Daryl, and Daryl says he thinks Huang is there to see if he's crazy. Huang says he's there to see if Daryl's competent to stand trial, then asks Daryl if he thinks he's crazy. Daryl goes, if I say no, I get the death penalty, right? Huang says he makes the diagnosis, not the defendant. Based on the tone, these things could sound shady, but like Mm -hmm. Huang's so great, he doesn't sound like that at all. He's like, I'll make the diagnosis here, not you. But he's really like, hey, buddy, you leave that to me. He's like, I'm just wondering what you think. That's all. Yeah. Daryl points out that Huang is Chinese, and Huang says that Daryl is half Chinese. Daryl calls Huang privileged and spoiled, and Huang says that native Chinese people call American-born Chinese people that, but reminds Daryl he's American-born as well. They're like having a little shade fight, but really calmly talking to each other. Huang is asking him about growing up in Chinatown now. He just shifts really easily. Uh He's good at his He's like, you kind of just called me a bitch, but I'm not going to let it affect me at all. Yeah. So Huang's asking him about growing up in Chinatown. Daryl said that the kids picking on him didn't bother him. Huang asked Mm. Daryl how old he was when he found out that his mom was raped. And I was like, geez. Yeah, he's being (laughs) weirdly hard on him at this point, but it's still like in Huang voice. So can you hear my kids? No. I need to get something on the ceiling because it's still, I can still hear shit. Huang asked Daryl how old he was when he found out that his mom was raped and he said he was really young and that his grandma had told him. And his grandma also used to call him, quote, black devil. Jesus. Huang asked him how he feels about his father and Daryl leans in really hard and whispers even harder, I'm nothing like him. Huang Mm -hmm. tells him to look at what he's done. His whole life he's tried to not be like his dad, but he's violent, he rapes and hurts people. And Huang's like, like father, like son. And Daryl's like, and he throws a chair across the fucking room. And then the cops subdue him. Benson's watching all this on the other side of the glass, like, oh my God. She's like, is this me? Yeah. Am I watching my life? Am I fucking, damn it. What? Who's, Who's that guy? God damn it. What's his name? What? What are you talking about? I'm talking about It's a Wonderful Life. But... Oh, I was trying to bring the Christmas back around, but I didn't remember his name. Oh, I had to go to the bank and found that I'm dead inside. <laughs> all right. I'm going to lasso the moon and make you eat it. And it's going to shoot out your fucking fingertips. I'm Jimmy something. <laughs> Whatever. Jimmy Dean. No. Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. John's Jimmy Stewart. John Stewart. I'm Jimmy Stewart. I'm Jimmy Stewart. Welcome to the Daily Show. Okay. (laughs) It's Christmas. Should I jump off this bridge? (laughs) But so like he chucks a fucking chair across the room. And it's so funny to me what startles them and what doesn't. Like they can walk into a backdraft level explosion and not flinch at all. And this dude throws a chair in a different room. She's protected by glass. And Benson jumps and puts a fucking dent in the ceiling. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
Yeah. So in court, Margot, remember that's Daryl's lawyer, is asking a scientist on the stand about the, quote, violence gene. I don't like this scientist. Yeah, he's a little fucking bitch. He, I yeah. fucking hate him. He's a superficial character, but he looks like Bizarro World Tom Hanks in Santa glasses and he taps his fingers too much. Yeah, he's a smug little cunt, too. He's just... <laughs> That's what he reminds me of. <laughs> He's saying that there's like technically no violence gene, but the presence of abnormal genes can be linked to violence. This guy says that the defective DRD2A1 allele can lead to addictive and violent behavior. And he did a bunch of DNA tests on Daryl. He does have that gene abnormality and so does Daryl's dad, Starnes. Margot asks the scientist if gene mutations can be inherited, and he says that yes, and uses like cystic fibrosis as an example. Both parents have to have the recessive genes for it to be passed on to the child. And then Margot's like, does the child have any control over contracting the disease? And obviously we see what we, she's, she's doing here. She's trying to compare violent tendencies to inheriting a disease. Mm-hmm. While it's it's like really interesting to me and like really smart, I it's like, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, well, Cabot objects based on the wild broad strokes that Margot's painting mm-hmm. with the walrus yeah. judge who's growing out his mullet by the way it is the walrus judge yeah walrus judge with his mullet tells Margot to keep it out of the realm of science fiction yeah Margot starts addressing the jury saying that it's not out of the realm of possibility that daryl inherited starn's violent behavior cabot objects and wants to know how they went from inherited genes to inherited behavior then mm-hmm. margo takes a fucking shot at cabot and says i'm sorry i'll try to speak slower and use smaller words so you can keep up with us and the judge is like chill out mm. and margo is just brutalizing cabot with her words and i'm fucking in love with her and she's my new mother so now it's cabot's turn with the scientist she asks him if all people <gasps> with the defective drd2a1 allele are rapists what if we're gonna fucking jerk off Margot, like she's running shit cabot stands up pulls out her massive fucking hog lest we forget that she's got the biggest of dick energies mm-hmm. and then she's going to talk to this guy oh yeah okay <laughs> pulls like, out her hog make sure you let everybody know her dick is out <laughs> so she asks this fucking scientist if all the people with the abnormal fucking drd2a1 allele become rapists and he's like well no and she's like well when a kid gets cystic fibrosis from their parents it's for sure okay but not with violence what are you trying to say and then he's like well other things factor in like upbringing blah 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 and cabot's like well you never mentioned that in your testimony to me it sounded like you were saying that genes are the only factor in violent behavior mm-hmm. and he's like why well, i can't speak on the influence of upbringing because i'm i'm mere geneticist and she's like oh okay so cool so now your testimony is that lots of shit factors into violent behavior besides just genes and he's like uh, yeah, he's not happy that he has to say yes. Cabot comes back and says, okay, so now you're saying multiple factors create this scenario, some of which you cannot speak to. Therefore, you have no business speaking on it at all. And this whole yeah. time we're watching Margo in the background and her head is spinning like, oh my She's God, like, I got to take my dick out. She's yeah. like, Dickson! She's like, I should have taken my fucking cock out earlier. <laughs> She's like fumbling with her zipper. <laughs> She's like, why did I even wear pants today? <laughs> yeah, fumbling. <laughs> Objection! <laughs> why, why did you just button up? What was my fucking problem? Yeah. Damn, this 501 skirt suit. <laughs> Jeez. 
Are those button-up ones? I don't even know. I don't know. Probably. We're talking <laughs> Levi's in the 90s. So Margo steps up and says that all this crazy science aside that you brought here, you fucking right. dumb bitch that I love, this is about choices we make and choices that are made for us. Did Daryl choose for Starnes to rape his mom and be brought up in a family and community that hated him? Did he Ouch. choose to have a genetic defect? What? Ouch. It's just, oh yeah. That's just Ouch. fucking harsh, man. Yeah. Daryl's here, by the way. I don't know if anybody knows that, but he's in the room. Did Daryl choose for Starnes to rape his mom and be brought up in a family and community that hated him? Did he choose to have a genetic defect? No. She said Daryl was engineered by nature and nurture to be exactly what he turned out to be. So what are we supposed to do now? Just be like, sorry, too bad. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's what free will is. Yeah. So now it's Cabot is talking to the jury and she's like, it's obvious Daryl had a difficult life, but none of that stuff is an excuse for murder. In a civilized society, we have to take responsibility for our actions. Cabot says that Daryl was in total control of his actions when he committed the crimes. He chose his victims very carefully, as we know, and he knew what he was doing was wrong and he did a bunch of shit to get away with it. He needs to take responsibility and Benson is sitting there taking this shit all in. Yeah, and then that precog from Minority Report pops in and whispers, you can choose. (laughs) That one lady. God, I need new eyeballs. (laughs) All right, so we're now when we're in Wong's office. Benson comes in and she tells Wong that Daryl was found guilty on all charges. Thank God. I want to know what the fuck happened to what's her face? Helen. Helen? What happened to Helen and Johnny and Helen? (laughs) <laughs> i don't know what happened to <laughs> anyway so yeah daryl was found guilty on all charges wong says it was a tough case for him and he felt like it was maybe tough for olivia as well so she fucking opens up to wong and tells him that she's like dude i was a product of rape i love to see her opening up and also mm-hmm. this entire scene Huang is making so many thinky faces <laughs> I know she said she's like, it was probably the biggest reason why she became a cop and wanted to join SVU. Benson says that she used to tell herself that it was because she wanted to do good. But she says in her job, she has to be aggressive and even violent. And then Huang asks her if she thinks that makes her like Daryl. Benson says that if Daryl has that aggression and violence in him, did he have a choice? Question mark. Does anyone have a choice? And then Huang, this is like the most intense I've seen him. He like leans in hard. and He like sort of yell whispers kind of. You don't hurt people, Olivia. You protect them. And he's got a little smile and he says, that your proof that we uh, i hard peed on that <laughs> <laughs> i mean i popped my pee super hard that doesn't work either <laughs> on the mic on the microphone yeah, I know. your proof that we do have a choice and i fucking love wong so much mm-hmm. olivia's clearly holding back tears and i mean not even really she's crying basically and she's like or maybe i'm just lucky that's the fucking end yeah i have like full body chills right now yeah i got really into that last part i hope this isn't boring by the way because i'm gonna talk about science stuff i love science stuff yeah but you're boring as shit no (laughs) 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 no i just read a lot of like scientific journal things and whatever just the stuff with olivia's whatever because there is there is some science to what they talked about in this and this episode is pretty much just based on the argument 
of nature versus nurture, genetic coding, and does it have weight in the choices we make and in violent behavior? Mm -hmm. So to kick this off, we're going to do a little bit of science before we get into the actual story. We're going to talk about the violence gene, aka the warrior gene. The warrior gene. Mm -hmm. That's what it's called. They were calling it a violence gene, but it's been dubbed the warrior gene. It's an actual thing. So obviously the episode took some more creative liberties with the actual facts of the science behind what they were talking about. In 1993, geneticist Han Brunner and his colleagues did a study where they found a very particular defect in 14 male members from one Dutch family. Hmm. In this study, they found that all of the male family members with this mutation were aggressive in response to nearly every emotion, anger, fear, frustration. The men, in turn, also had criminal behaviors. Some examples of their crimes, at 23, one of them was convicted for the rape of his sister. Another (gasps) attempted to... Okay. Another. Sorry. 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 Warning. Sorry. <laughs> Incest stuff is just fucking. I know. You know how I am about that. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Another attempted to run over his boss with a car after receiving a less than stellar performance review. At least two of them were arsonists, and another would go into his sister's bedroom at night and force her to undress at knife point. What in the mother fuck is the same sister? Uh, Did, was no. there multiple? Ugh, I mean, I it don't would, want it to happen any of them, but it would suck if it was happening. It's, yeah, mind. it was. It was uh, across the board, like multiple men in this family. Oh my so, fucking god! Um, I'm going to quote this recent article on the subject written by Professor Jonathan Flint. He says, "Quote: Brunner found evidence that males with criminal behavior had a mutation in a gene on the X chromosome called monoamine oxidase A." M-A-O-A, which is involved in the metabolism of neurotransmitters, including dopamine, noradrenaline, and serotonin, the last being the target of antidepressants such as Prozac. Since men have only one copy of the gene, i.e. only one X chromosome, the men with the mutation in M-A-O-A had no functional enzyme. On the face of it, M-A-O-A mutations were making Dr. Brenner's patients aggressive. Okay. You see why I have to quote these things? Cause I'm not going to be able to like, yeah. Sum that up with my own fucking, this is fucking science. So this is fucking science. You guys. Yeah. So more studies went on to find this pattern in other families. They also studied it in mice and found that mice that didn't have an operative MAOA gene were more aggressive than mice that did. So this disorder becomes known as Brunner syndrome. External things that indicate this disorder are a lower than average IQ, usually around 85, problematic impulsive behavior, such as pyromania, hypersexuality, and violence, sleep disorders, and mood swings. In the context of the episode, Benson was concerned about her own predisposition to violence because of how she was conceived. But I'm going to quote another report. This one is from ncbi.gov. Quote, in the context of medical genetics, X-linked recessive disorders manifest in males who have one copy of the X chromosome and are thus hemizygotes, but generally not in female heterozygotes who have one mutant and one normal allele. So... Oh, because they... Because they were like... Benson's like, oh no, what about me? And they're like, oh, Benson, are you worried? But like the actual science, like I know that they're, they take liberties with it. Mm -hmm. On top of that, Brunner syndrome is supposedly extremely rare. 
I read somewhere that it was like 30% of the population. And I'm like, well, that's not extremely rare then. So like, and it wasn't a reliable source. So I just, I couldn't find a reliable source to tell me like what the numbers are on it. Plus like to get tested for that, to get that kind of genetic testing is like the average Kyle who has these personality traits isn't going to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so now we're all up to speed on this disorder, yes? Yes. Okay. How about you, listeners? <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. I can say that. Backpack? Whatever. Say backpack. Okay, so this guy spells his name with a PH, and I never know if it's Stefan or Steven when people do this, but... I think it's always Steven. Is it? Okay, we're calling him Ketter, Steve. I think Ketter... I'm about to fucking... I think Ketter, Ketter's cat's name it has a PH, but it's Steven. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not. So yeah. Stephen Anthony Mobley was born on July 13th. Oh, my God. That's my sister's cat's full name. Shut Just up. Kidding. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> was born on July 13th, 1965. Oh, my God. That's Ketter's cat's birthday. <laughs> I promise I won't do any more. <laughs> I promise. Do you see how I just said July 13th without changing my inflection? Because that's nine days after my birthday. Dude, fuck your birthday. We're talking about my birthday. Oh, shit. (laughs) It's my birthday month. Okay. Yeah, keep going. I've literally gotten one sentence into this. Stephen Anthony Mobley was born on July 13th, 1965. Family recalls Mobley being a difficult child. He had some of the big psycho red flags, including setting fires and cruelty to animals, that being coupled with lying, cheating, stealing, assault, vandalism, etc., etc. He was dealing with a lot of behavioral shit. Mm-hmm. He was evaluated by multiple professionals growing up, and they looked for learning disabilities or organic brain disorders to explain his, quote, manipulative, self-centered, and impulsive behavior. And there's not a ton of details, but he apparently had a really rough childhood outside of his control. He was diagnosed with PTSD for what? I don't know. He developed paranoia and other anxiety disorders. He was shuffled through 10 different residential placements throughout his childhood because no one Mm. could handle him. By the time Mobley was in his 20s, he had served time in prison for forgery and had gotten in trouble for credit card theft and burglary. Cut to February 17th, 1991. It's just after midnight. We're in a Domino's pizza delivery store in Oakwood, Georgia. College student and night manager John C. Collins is working his shift. Mm-hmm. That's when Mobley comes in, armed with a Walther 380 semi-automatic pistol to rob the place. Mobley put John on his knees and emptied the cash register. Before he left, he shot John in the back of the head, killing him. Jesus. Mobley went on to rob six more businesses, restaurants, and dry cleaners um, over the next handful of weeks. Three weeks after killing John Collins execution style, Mobley was arrested. Following a high-speed chase post-attempted robbery, the gun used to shoot John was found by police on the side of the road. Mobley was tried in February of 1992, but that ended in a mistrial. In a second attempt, he was tried in February of 1994 and convicted of malice murder, felony murder, based on five separate underlying felonies and guilty of those five underlying felonies, armed robbery, three counts of aggravated assault, and possession of a firearm in the commission of a crime. Mobley was given the death penalty. At the time, such a heinous crime didn't have the option of life in prison, and that's since changed, but at this time, like, that was, if you were guilty, this was 
what you got. He and his lawyers attempted appeal after appeal as it goes until appeals ran out, and Stephen Anthony Mobley was executed by lethal injection on March 1st, 2005. What do Mobley's crimes and subsequent trial have to do with the warrior gene? His trial happened to come up shortly after Brunner's paper on the subject was published, okay? Mobley filed a motion to obtain money so he could hire expert witnesses to determine that he did in fact have the MAOA deficiency. Mm Mm-hmm. The court threw out his petition, but his attempt at this defense spread in the legal community. So in 2000, the argument for the warrior gene was used in Dion Wayne Sanders' case, who shot both his grandparents, and that changed the outcome of his trial. The verdict came back as life in prison instead of the death penalty. It's been attempted since, and the only power the defense has really had is to drag shit out. It comes down to it being one of thousands of determining factors in human behavior. There are 23,000 other genes in the human genome, none of which have been found responsible for contributing to violent acts. So studies continue to be done with larger and larger data sets to be able to have advanced diagnoses of common diseases, diabetes, heart disease, etc. But who knows what arguments can be held up in the future? Like that's some minority report shit. Yeah. The reason I tell you the story of Mobley is because that was the first situation that got attention on the warrior gene and it has been debated furiously ever since. Yeah. And it makes sense to, I think both sides arguing it makes sense. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, of course there are tens of thousands of other genes as well as outside influence that creates a situation and you can't just blame one thing, but also all it takes is like one small change in a DNA strand to completely change you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it. Well, like, and it's like like if your one of your cells decides to fucking mutate randomly, mm-hmm. cancer. You know what yeah, I mean? That's, like it's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, is like it can change entire outcomes. So it's like I get this is where we're at right now because yeah, we believe in like free will and whatever else, and which is of course a factor in anything. But I don't know, man. I can't imagine how long it will take to seriously be looked at because i mean there's clearly science behind it when they do studies with mice and shit and they're like hey these mice were aggressive and these mice weren't it's like that's as cut and dry as you can get these mice aren't raised with like a mean dad and the other one is you know what i mean like yeah i'm saying like right so with that being a significant factor you would think that that would hold some sort of weight but nobody gives a shit about criminals nobody gives a shit about people that are in the fucking prison system that's a whole Mm -hmm. other issue i just thought that was super interesting it's very interesting Next week on SVU Pound, especially heinous, we're going to be talking about season three, episode nine, Care. The team investigate the death of a five-year-old girl in foster care. The detectives look into her family connection in the search of a motive, and Tasha quits the show. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really fucked up one. I hate this. Oh, I'm not looking forward to doing this one. Great, fun, sounds great, sounds fun. Hey, Thank you so much to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elkie H, Sarah A, Annie G, Mary D, and Andrew. Hey. Thanks, you guys. You guys are awesome. Thanks for letting, for letting us be alive. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just appreciate um, you, I mean. <laughs> check out our Patreon. We've got garbage cookies. We've got friendship boats. What does that mean? All the definitions are waiting there for you <laughs> at Patreon. Follow us on all social media at SVU Pod. Check out our 
website, svupod.com. Join our Facebook group, SVUPod Elite Squad. Yeah. We hope your guys' Halloween was fucking kick-ass and nobody ate any razor blades. And You know, that that whole thing's a myth that, like, never happened. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so love you, bye. Love you, bye. Bye, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> love you, bye. Helen. <laughs> <laughs> oh.